you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. persuasion to come on the show and have a and have a discussion because you know it's easy when you're sitting behind a keyboard to push your ideas out on people and to argue and you know I'm not interested in starting a fight I merely want to understand and a brave soul guy who I was hoping would uh, would volunteer did and only one person did and that man is Steve Rowe and I've known Steve for a couple years now and uh, I got nothing but respect for Steve um, you know not only you know does he does he uh, believe in, in, in the moon uh, shooter scenario you know, he's a researcher. He's been a researcher for a very long time. Um, and as you'll see, you know, this, this this story with Steve turned into something more than I thought it was going to be. And and, and, I, and I'm proud of this one. And I got nothing but respect for Steve. And uh, it gives you a little bit of perspective from, you know, not only someone who was around back then. Uh, but this happened in his hometown, in his backyard, and how it affected him personally and uh, and profoundly. So anyway, enough of me. Uh, enjoy the show, guys. This is me and Steve getting it on. <laughs> 
Ring the bell, baby. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast, episode number 57, I believe. Uh, today, I have a very special treat for you and a very special guest, and it's, it's, an, it's an idea I've been toying with for a little while here, because um, it's something that uh, you don't normally hear a lot of, uh, but today, my guest is Mr. Steve Rowe from California. How you doing, Steve? Hi, you, Rob. How you doing, man? long time no see <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing good buddy i'm doing good and uh the reason i wanted to talk to steve today is because for people that aren't familiar uh with steve on on, on uh, facebook and, and whatever forums you're a part of there um steve believes in uh well he's a lone nut let's get right down to it and I, I feel like that's a derogatory term, Steve. What, 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 what would a better term be? Well, that's 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 the common term. I, I personally, I'm not offended by it. Uh, uh, I'm more of a long shooter type guy. But anyway, it's it's same thing. Yeah, and and it's bad to yeah. it's bad to put labels on people like that, and you know, on both sides really, because you know, as you know, there's a lot of nuts on our side as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we're not without nuts ourselves, so. Yeah, um, and, and those guys, you know, they're the bad apples of the bunch. They give both sides of our stuff bad names. And and the reason I wanted to have you on in particular, and I'm glad you volunteered to come on, and uh, is because we actually get along quite well. We've collaborated on a little research in the past, and... Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and, and how you became interested in the case and, and what brought you to where you are today, Steve. Okay, yeah, thank, thank you, Rob, for uh, the opportunity. Uh, that uh, speaks volumes for you. And as you said, we knew each other for, I don't know, two or three years now. Uh, uh, we have collaborated. But uh, anyway, I'll just get into myself a little bit. Uh, where I come from on the JFK case, uh, uh, I'm originally from Dallas. Uh, uh, actually, I was born in Michigan, Michigan of all places, but uh, our family moved to uh, Dallas uh, about one year after I was born. <coughs> but uh, anyway, uh, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, I, I have two uncles and families over there. Well, they're, they're not living anymore, but... Uh, uh, part of my cousins lived in Oak Cliff. I spent a lot of time in Oak Cliff in the uh, you know late fifties, early sixties there. You know, visiting my cousins were over there. So a lot of the places that are in the JFK thing, I'm very familiar with. You know, uh, but anyway, getting back, uh, <clears throat> how it, how I got impacted by this was <clears throat> uh, I was eight years old when uh, Kennedy was shot. I was in basically an elementary school. My mother worked at Parkland Hospital. Oh, wow. She was a registered nurse, but she was only working part-time. Uh, my dad had a, a full-time job there as well. But uh, anyway, uh, I remember that day. It's kind of etched in your brain 
when it happened, you know, especially in in your hometown. Uh, I was at school, elementary school there, and uh, we were out for recess. And uh, I was out on the playground playing with the other kids, I'm sure. And uh, one of the teachers came out to the playground and started hurting the kids back inside the school. And, you know, the course of shots were 1230. I can't recall the time on it, you know, being eight years old. I don't have total recall. But uh, uh, they uh, they rounded us up, and uh, they gathered everybody into a little room called the film room. And back in those days, the film room was when they used to show those old black and white uh, goofy pictures about, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, when, when the projector was too big to move around from class to class. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but also in that uh, film room, they had uh, two big old clunker TVs that were set up on a uh, kind of a stand, you know, you had wheels on it and roll around. Right. So they herded us into that room. I don't know, there's, gosh, probably 50 of us in there probably. And uh, and they had the TV on. And uh, there was a rumor going around right when we were getting herded in about the president getting shot. And, uh, wow, you know, and these kids, uh, they can't really understand the gravity of it, you know, but it's pretty pretty shocking to hear that. Right. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, they, they had the TV on. I, I can't remember what TV station we were watching the Channel 8, probably. There was four local TV uh, networks over at that time, just four. Anyway, they had the coverage on, and they probably had Jay Watson on there, WFAA. I, I, I don't recall that, but uh, uh, anyway, there was a few teachers. Or, you know, there was probably four or five teachers in there, you know, and uh, uh, a couple of them were crying. And then they made the announcement that the president was shot. And uh, I remember this because, of course, there was people that were kind of shocked as kids, but also remember a few boys cheering. Really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> right. So that, that kind of, you know, it left a little bad taste in my mouth, you know. I mean... Anybody getting shot is a bad thing. So anyway, they I'll cut cut this down a little bit. But anyway, they uh, they had us in there for a while. Then they they didn't know what to do with us. So anyway, they rounded us all of us kids in that school to the big auditorium there, and they had the TV going up there as well. And they rounded a bunch of buses up, and I used to catch the bus to school every day, and. Uh, so we boarded these buses and went home. Of course, there was mothers and family members picking up kids all left and right there, you know. Yeah. So uh, I got on the bus and uh, rode back and to our little house there in Dallas, just north of Love Field, and uh, got off the bus and I came inside the house. My mother was off that day. And... Uh, found my mother crying she had the TV going so uh, of course she was pretty traumatized by it too I guess and everybody was really in some way or the other so that 
that was kind of a you know it's something that's etched in your brain you know <laughs> and uh, yeah it was uh, uh, you know I guess it would be like a 9-11 you know but it seemed that the whole world just stood still at that point uh, and then my dad got home from work later on that day uh, I actually got the original Dallas Times Herald that was thrown in our driveway on that day. I still have that. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah it's a first edition. That's one that came out. Times Herald was the afternoon edition paper, and the Dallas Morning News was the morning one. You know, right? Uh, Dallas Morning News was more conservative. Uh, uh, had a more conservative bent to it, you know, and. Uh, the Times Herald was, I guess you could classify it as a little more liberal bit. Anyway, my parents loved the Times Herald. They, they didn't like <laughs> the uh, Dallas Morning News. But anyway, I still have that. I actually have another copy. I think my dad probably got that from work. But uh, I have two copies of it. So uh, <clears throat> we were, uh, of course, pretty much transfixed to the TV. I remember my mother talking to uh, people on the telephone, probably my aunt. Uh, And then uh, I remember her talking to some nurses uh, off and on during the weekend there, you know. Right. She, my mother was a uh, a nurse, and uh, she worked in the... uh, well, like a maternity ward, it was, but she would do with the premature babies, you know. She was in those incubators and stuff like that. Right, yeah, like the Nikki. Yeah, yeah, like that. And then, so she went, she, uh, she went to work, I think, Monday. But, uh, uh, the one thing I, uh, I really regret from this time is, uh, I just don't, I wish I had talked to her more about it, you know. Yeah. Because she she knew those doctors. Uh, she did tell me that the president was DOA, and that was her friends telling her that. And she may have went over and saw Connolly, and you know, when he was over there. But right. she did tell me that the governor Connolly was with him. It was a big crybaby, <laughs> <laughs> you know, kind of demanding guy, you know. But he was kind of a crybaby. I don't know where she got that from. I think the other nurses or something. But He should have been thanking his lucky stars. <laughs> yeah, so anyway. So, uh, Sunday, uh, we were attending a little church uh, on Industrial Boulevard just north of Commerce. Uh, it's just a small congregation, uh, church, church of Christ. Uh, my family had splintered off from another church over there in Oak Cliff and uh, started their own you know they were gathering money to build a church and so we uh, were in this little uh, it's kind of a carpenter's union hall if I remember correctly just a place we rented every every week for for church service you know so uh, anyway we were in there and of course the the big buzz was was assassination and uh, and there were some words told about the president but uh Anyway, one of the members of that church, I can't recall who, but anyway, came in or went outside to smoke a cigarette or something, but uh, 
mentioned that Oswald got shot. And, uh, of course, everybody back in those days uh, was glued to their radios, you know, transistor radios, oh, yeah. uh, car radios. So everybody kind of went outside, went to their to their car, cars, and got in there and, you know, cranked it up, turned on the radio and listened to this, you know. And uh, I recall right there on Industrial Boulevard seeing cop cars race up past us and there's some sirens going on oh, wow. and they were, all, they were obviously heading up to uh, Parkland Hospital right. with you know to cover Oswald up there but anyway all this kind of just etched into my mind you know uh, I think during that weekend we actually went down to the tried to go look at that Texas School Book Depository with my uncle drove yeah. us down there we couldn't get close it was it was all packed with people uh cars and oh I mean just, traffic was just jammed up we never did really get to drive on Elm Street uh, I think we were on Pacific or something I don't know but uh, anyway all these things you know kind of have in, in your mind so that kind of that's kind of where I got started <clears throat> uh, and then uh, as I got a little older you know uh, it always kind of interests me you know when I was getting in my teen years to go down to the library and start reading books. So I can't recall all the books I read or who it was. Uh, you know, I'm sure I read uh, Mark Lane's and, uh, I don't know, uh, Whitewash. I think I remember that one. Maybe some Epstein. Uh, yeah, could have, yeah. Or, to be honest with you, I just really can't recall it exactly, but, I mean, I don't know. I'm talking about ten books or so, you know. Yeah, these are early, early critics, you know, of the Warren Report. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I do remember uh, listening to the transistor radio as a kid, and uh, after all this happened, my my dad had a little cheap Japanese transistor radio that I loved to listen to. You know, rock music at night and in bed, you know, <laughs> with an earphone. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I. I I listened to that some of those call call in shows like Russ Knight, uh, Weird Beard, the KLIF, and and they were talking about the whole thing, you know. But that was one thing I do remember. People people were calling in and say they saw Oswald at the Western Auto. They saw him at a gas station. Oh, yeah, I saw Jack Ruby. You know, there's all kinds of calls like that. Oh yeah, going in there, you know. So it, it was kind of a strange occurrence. But uh, what I can tell you of that time, uh, when it happened, nobody knew what was going on. But the first thing, whenever they got Oswald, they found out he was a supposed Marxist or communist. was, oh, my God, this is <laughs> yeah. a Russian deal, right? So, uh, we, I mean, when, the year before, we just got through the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know. So, I mean, there was a buzz about that. Oh, my God. Are we going to be in war here? You know, are they going to be shooting the nukes off Cuba at us? Or, you know, there was a lot of that talk. Yeah. A lot. Uh, anyway, getting back on up there. Uh, so, anyway, I kind of held, held an interest in it uh, at one of, during my teen years. And then in my, my 20s, I went on and... Uh, 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 you know, occasionally read a book, you know, but I always held that 
yeah, there's something to this. You know, there's a conspiracy. I mean, all these people writing these things and, you know, uh, didn't add up, you know. Yeah. So, uh, of course, the Warren Report came out in, in uh, I believe it's September 64. Uh, when that came out, Walter Cronkite, uh, he's in a famous little TV show there, I think it was three or four hours, where he, he got on the air explaining it, you know, to everybody. But as far as I know, nobody really bought the, uh, you know, had money to buy 27 volumes of the Warren Report. Right. And that was for fancy lawyers and people that smoke pipes and sit around in smoking <laughs> jackets all day, you know. <laughs> and, I think, so, and I think one thing we can agree on is even if we don't agree with the conclusion of the Warren Report, um, we can agree that they probably went about putting all that together in a not really so coherent kind of way. I mean, it was confusing for a lot of people to even understand what the hell they were trying to say in it. Uh, I agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't really well organized. Uh, it was just a big data dump, you know? Yeah. Now, they had a concluding volume, which I read later. I said, I have a copy of that, but uh, that kind of makes sense. But, <clears throat> you know, who, who in the world's got all this time to read all this stuff, you know? So, but there was, I recall there was a lot of people that did not believe it, you know? Uh, of course, the media was on it, and they agreed with it. But, uh, so anyway, that's that's where it stood. And then, all, of course, all the series of books came out later, later, later. And then, uh, you know, I, I kind of lost interest in it for about 20 years. And then, uh, uh, I'm going to fast forward this a little bit. Then I got, got up, I don't know, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I did read one book, Case Closed. That was back in the 90s. Right. And that kind of, that kind of neutralized me. You know, I said, well, you know, Posner's got a deal, but I wasn't completely so. You know, well, there's got to be something to it. So, in about 10 years ago, I decided, uh, I'm sorry, about seven or eight years ago, I, uh, me and my wife took a trip back to Dallas, where my sister still lives. And uh, my wife had never been to the Texas School Book Depository. And I hadn't, you know, for many years, being out here in California, uh, since they opened the Sixth Floor Museum. So I talked my uh, sister into taking us down there, and uh, we took the tour of the Sixth Floor Museum. So we saw all exhibits, went through it, you know, and uh, worked ourselves up to the Sixth Floor. Of course, they had the sniper's nest all uh, plexiglassed off. You couldn't get in there. Right. And so I stood right next to the window, adjacent to that sniper's nest and look down on them and that's what turned me right there I look right down there on Elm Street trying to visualize the shots you know Yeah. and I, I said wait a minute this is close this is, this is not you know uh, we're not talking great distances here and yeah, I thought it's, to myself, it's a lot shorter than what people think it is yeah, I think the first shot was 57 yards, you know, on the diagonal, then uh, the, the last shot was 88 yards, I believe. Yeah. So I'm looking down this thing uh, out the window, and uh, I'm visualizing it, and I said, wait a minute. 
I said, this is close. This is really close. And uh, anyway, it just kind of stunned me, you know. And I, and I said, well, I'm going to start rethinking this a little bit. But anyway, we got out and then I walked around out in the plaza, you know, and then uh, went behind the stockade fence. And I said, well, let me, let me see if I can line this shot up, you know. And I stood behind the stockade fence, many, many places there. I said, no, there's no way. I said, first of all, the angle I mean, it's not doesn't work. And then it's so close to the Elm Street there, you know. If somebody did shoot, how in the world would they only didn't notice it, you know? Right. So anyway, all these things kind of added up in my mind, you know. And I said, eh, I'm going to rethink this, you know. And uh, but this time I'm going to I'm not going to read books. I'm going to do my own research, draw my own conclusions. I did read three books. Uh, uh, in the last year, one of them being Gail Jackson's book. It's a good book. I like that book. Yeah. Uh, Franklin Griffin read his book. Uh, what's the other one there? Uh, Franklin Griffin was Touched by Fire. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. He's got an interesting story, just from a personal story standpoint. And, uh, gosh, what's the other? I forgot. But anyway, for the, for the most part, I, I decided to do the research myself and get back into it. Uh, uh, and then, you know, start working through the Mary Farrell side, looking at these things. <clears throat> anyway, I'm going to kind of sum this up a little quicker. But uh, I thought... Uh, I started investigating this and well how do you approach this this is so, such a massive thing even the Mary Farrell site you know you go to that and that's just a big data dump you know and uh, where do you go you know where do you start yeah so you almost have to know what you're looking for you know exactly yeah 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 I poked around you know you know I want to learn about J.D. Tippett and you know and this and that and then uh, anyway I, I kind of built up all these reference sites I get into, but then I, I finally come to the conclusion, you know, the best thing to do is to treat it like a homicide. Start there. Okay? Start from ground zero, where it happened, and all this stuff. Right. And instead of hopscotching over to CIA and uh, Mexico, and, you know, start from there. So that's what I did, and... Uh, uh, I uh, changed my thinking after looking at a lot, a lot of this stuff. Uh, the uh, on the forum, not forums, but uh, on the Facebook deal, you know, I like kind of ran across that JFK thing by accident, and then I got to getting on there, and that's probably that's where I met you. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, we had some interesting conversations too. Oh, good yeah. ones too. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, so there's a whole, you know, this whole community. You know, you get to start familiarizing the, all these people, and uh, and of course, there's every theory and known to man in there. You know, yeah. And <laughs> you know, to the ridiculous, to pretty good ones. But uh, so uh, I got involved with that. And I was trying to learn, and then I got into the argument phase of it, you know, uh, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, uh, 
that's how I got started, basically. Well, let me ask you this, because, uh, I mean, I know, you know, a lot of people don't understand how much of an, I guess, fear of communism people were living living under back then. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, held the sentiment that Kennedy was too soft on communism. He wanted to buddy up with the Russians. He didn't do anything about Cuba. Um, and that did piss a lot of people off. And I'm sure some of those kids that were in your class clapping uh, were just echoing what they had heard from their parents um, speak ill of Kennedy and his uh, lack of uh, strength you know, against communism and, and doing nothing against Cuba. Um, you know, yes. you got this communist nation 60 miles off of our shore, and, and he's not doing anything about it. We got nukes. You know, right off of our shore, he's not doing anything about it. You know, he's trying to form a, a, a friendship with with Khrushchev, and you know that that made people very wary of him. So that you know, there was a big uh, anti-Kennedy uh, bias going on back then as well, too. Well, that's that's a great point you bring up, and that's, it's exactly right. Uh, uh, in Dallas, I can tell you that for sure. Uh, Kennedy, uh, for the most part, there was, I think, a lot of people. It's been misrepresented in Dallas, uh, <clears throat> but uh, as you can tell, uh, there's all the people that turned out for the motorcade by the thousands, you know, in Dallas, uh, were, uh, I think, the majority like Kennedy. Right. And uh, back in those days, Jack and Jackie were rock stars. I mean, they were, you know, here they, they were very charismatic people, handsome and beautiful. Jackie had her beautiful clothes, uh, designer clothes. I mean, it was a, a, a real big departure from Eisenhower and Truman and, of course, FDR. Yeah. So, and he was a young guy, but, but in Dallas, uh, there was a vocal minority very right wing uh, John Birchers oh, yeah. states rightists there there was a whole conflagration of these people very vocal I mean uh, and then uh, <clears throat> there was a strong sentiment yes that Kennedy was well he was soft yeah. I mean he, he wasn't Eisenhower I mean he he wasn't going to go crush these commies that are 90 miles off our shores, you know. I mean, that you lack the will or whatever, you know. There was a lot of talk like that. And a lot of people held that sediment in Dallas. Well, not just and, in Dallas either, Steve. I mean, you had it in New Orleans. You had it in Florida. You had it in Georgia. You know, a lot yeah. of the South felt that way. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, but also that uh, you had the... Uh, in the background, too, you had the uh, civil rights coming in. Uh, Kennedy was a big proponent of that, and the South was fighting that pretty hard. Uh, it was more of a federal government over the states, you know. So we had a lot of these states right, right us, you know. And then uh, you had all these white citizen councils all over throughout the South, you know, fighting us uh, with the, uh, the force integration under Earl Warren court you know so 
1956. Dallas, Dallas chose the rural structure. They didn't integrate the schools right away. They kind of held off on it. Uh, so anything, all, all these, all these things kind of added up towards Kennedy. And uh, you know, there was a, some very vocal people there. You know, and uh, and that was witnessed why the uh, Adelaide Stevenson uh, deal. Yeah. If you recall that, uh, Adelaide Stevenson came in there for I think it's. Uh, October 24th of 63 uh, to give a speech on what they call United Nations Day and uh, the night before General Walker held a U.S. Day rally which uh, General Walker was uh, you know, a real <laughs> a real uh, character I mean he got go hours about him but, but uh, anyway <clears throat> Long story short, there, uh, you know, Walker worked up all these. He held the same rally in the Dallas Memorial Auditorium the day before. And oddly enough, uh, Oswald was there. Right. So, uh, and then the next night, uh, Stevenson gave his speech, but he was booed and, and all this other stuff. And, and then he was, you know, spit on and got hit over the head with a placard. <laughs> By a lady there, you know. Anyway, it just left a bad uh, stain on Dallas. Uh, got, of course, they hit the national news and everything like that. And uh, I mean, Stevenson got out of there just barely alive, you know. Right. <laughs> in fact, he had a, he was in in the car with Stanley Marcus, which Stanley Marcus of Neiman Marcus fame uh, uh, had put that that you you and a rally together but uh, for Stevenson but they had to race almost plow out of that crowd running over people <laughs> getting out of there so anyway <clears throat> so you had this image of Dallas there right and uh, oh you know look at these nuts down there you know and these animals you know and, and all this stuff so that was in the background too right and now the question becomes then Steve did Oswald feel so strongly, um, you know, the same way? Did he echo these sentiments of these people, these 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 extreme right wingers, to where his hatred of Kennedy and his policies was strong enough for him to do what he was accused of doing, to throw his life away, to throw his family away, for just to you know. To get rid of Kennedy, it's it's one of those things that you think about and you ponder on, and you try to put yourself in his shoes, uh, and it's it's a hard thing to do, and it's it's a hard conclusion to get to because you know there's so I guess few supporting bits of evidence that would lead you to believe that that Oswald had that strong of a, an anti-Kennedy sentiment. Yeah, that's that's a fair question. That's one I struggled with uh, a lot. You know, what was the motivation to kill Kennedy? Right. Uh, well, and it, and it it is a hard. I, I admit that. You know, where where does this come from? Because in my mind, uh, you have to link the Walker shooting. 
anyway, I don't Oswald. What everything I can determine, and I've read in some of his writings and whatever his diary and stuff like that. That you know he was vehemently opposed to General Walker. So uh, you know Oswald's more of a left-leaning type of guy. I mean he 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 uh, he believed in civil rights, but <clears throat> so I struggled with this for a long time. And you know why is he up there shooting the president? And, uh, of course, I've kind of looked back that people that uh, uh, conversed with him over the years, you know, I mean, you know, where did this come from? But the, he did make some anti-Kennedy statements. In fact, it was to, uh, oh, what's that guy? Uh, Smith, the German, Volkmar Smith. Uh, he was part of that white Russian community over there. Right. And uh, anyway, they attended a kind of a house party over there. And, uh, you know, DeMorne Shield introduced him to all these guys. And, and uh, anyway, Oswald was railing on about Kennedy and the Cuba thing. And I think that was part of the motivation was here was Kennedy wanting to basically crush overthrow whatever Castro and there's no doubt in my mind I've looked I've looked at this pretty intensely and I said well I, uh, Oswald did idolize Castro he did uh, there's no doubt in my mind I've looked at it uh, in fact uh, in New Orleans uh, his uncle Dutch Murrett went in there to his house on Magazine Street and there was a picture of Castro over the mantle, you know, right. <laughs> so, and, you know, you look, read Marina, you know, I know people don't trust her, but, uh, I, I think she's a victim myself, but, uh, uh, well, a lot, know, he, at that time, Steve, ahead. you know, a, a lot of people were happy about the fact that Castro was overthrowing Batista, the, the, you know, they, they offered support, uh, both verbally and physically, uh, many Americans did. And they didn't really know what was coming down the pipe as far as Castro is concerned. Um, they, they were just happy that somebody was raising up and getting rid of Batista. And I think a lot of people did idolize what he was doing down there until uh, he made that unholy alliance with Russia. And then, then people started changing their minds a little bit on him. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, of course, a lot of those adventurers, you know, that went back there and fought with Castro on the American side, you know, Jerry Hamming and the, and the Lauren Halls and, and those, those people, you know, were, uh, then he turned communist and then they just felt like they were sold out. Right. And uh, that's exactly right. And then, then the Cuban Missile Crisis comes along and that's, that was a big deal, I can tell you that. I mean, that was pretty scary. So, but Oswald was in Russia at the time of the of the uh, the missile crisis, basically. Um, uh-huh. So he wasn't, I guess, in state no. firsthand to no, you know, to to realize, I guess, what the American sentiment was, the, the American view of things. He would have just been getting the uh, what the Russians told him, basically, over there. Uh huh. Right. Right, and uh, 
So, uh, so you know, he comes waltzing back in the United States in June of '63, and uh, uh, all this is, you know, water under the bridge. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, another clue I've looked in is, 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 you know, he subscribed to two. To uh, you know, newspapers, uh, you know, the militant and the worker. Right. And you go back and you read the militant, which is a little bit more uh, uh, how you say radical. Uh, you can read column after column of them land blasting Kennedy and his policy against Cuba. So anyway, it's 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 really hard to pinpoint down Rob I just can't say alright well, here it is you know he's uh, he's come out against Kennedy he hated Kennedy and everything like that uh, I just don't think it's that cut and dry right. and that's another that's another part of my research is trying to trying to see where a motive came from you know right. so, and, and that's what I like about you Steve I mean you're not like most people that are, are set in their their viewpoints you know you're open-minded to things as long as that's where the research goes um and you're still researching you know you're 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 still at it you know it's not like you've accepted your opinions or your thoughts on the case and they're set in stone um and that's that's a problem on both sides as well i mean you got you got people on our side that that think that oswald never Never fired a shot. Didn't know. Didn't know what was going on. Was totally clueless. Totally set up. And he should be put on the mantle with a halo on his head. You know. And yeah. I, I say that because I used to think it. Um, you know, back in the back in the nineties, early two thousands. You know, I was. I, I thought that he was the genuine patsy. You know, the the clueless uh, patsy. And uh, you know, the more I researched, the more my my thought process evolved. And, you know, I'm open to whatever, you know, and I, I'm fairly certain beings who he was associated with in New Orleans and what was going on there um, and just his movements in Dallas and who he was associated with, associating with there, that he was not a totally clueless patsy, that he probably did, if there was a plot, have knowledge of said plot, um, you know, whatever it may be, you know, yeah. I don't think anybody has all the answers. Uh, although some people think that they do, uh, you know, they like to, they like to believe in these things that ties a nice little neat bow on it and, and, you know, they can go on with their lives and, and the case is solved, but I don't think it's no. that simple either, Steve, you know? Well, that's, that's a good point. You can't, you really can't. And, you know, on the face of it, it bothered me, you know. Here's here's a guy he defects to Russia. Was he a defector or or what? You know, and then uh, then he comes back, and then uh, then he's handing out all these leaflets. And here's another thing I want to bring up in part of my research. You know, he was well known for handing out his leaflets over there in New Orleans, but <clears throat> what I've discovered is uh, he was handing them out in Dallas too. Uh, High probability. I can't. I, I don't have anything to pin it on. on no picture of them, but I've got some uh, documentation that kind of leads that way. Uh, but uh, he was handing those things out. Uh, as far as I know, it was just one time, 
down there on Herve uh, Street uh, in front of the H.L. Green Variety Store down there. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So that's that's important to me. You know, I, I, I looked at that, and I kind of tie that in. I wrote a little article up. It's it's way back here somewhere, but uh, for myself. But uh, <clears throat> tying him in with the, with the backyard pictures, the... And all that stuff, you know. But <clears throat> so there's where I kind of looked at it too. I said, "Well, is he involved in some type of intelligence outfit down there in New Orleans? You know, what is he doing here? You know." So I, I think he was doing his own thing, Rob. I wish I had 100% proof that he was handing out that leaflets down there, but I've got some pretty compelling backup evidence of that. In fact, he wrote to, uh, oh gosh, VT Lee's outfit down there, Fair Play Cuba, I think, uh, requesting more leaflets and, and saying he wore a sign, made up a homemade sign. You know, it was yeah. one of those things that draped around his neck. And he, he was down there in Dallas. That's in his writing. So he was doing that before New Orleans. Right. So that's another little clue to look at. But uh, personally, I don't have all the answers. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, you, the more you dig, the more you, you research it, uh, in my mind, it gets a little bit clearer. It's still a fuzzy picture. But uh, at this point now, I think he was doing his own thing. Uh I don't think he ever had any intelligence or connections. I think he was just doing his own dang thing. But uh, I'm hoping that somebody's got it. Yeah. Well, well, on that note, um, you know, why why do you think that the uh, that the CIA and the Warren Commission uh, are so protective of their of their files? You know, if he if he did it, if he was a commie, uh, you know, if he did it, just what's the big why all the secrecy? And I know they say national security, but it, you know it boils down to the, the to the killing of a president. And if this guy did it, then why can't we why can't we see all the files yet? Well, that's that's a valid point. Uh, I acknowledge that. Uh, now there's going to be some more files released in 2017. I think these remaining uh, Warren Commission files. That's going to be kind of interesting to look at. And, uh, uh, you know, Mexico troubles me a little more. There's a big, big black hole down there. What was he doing down there? And it's a good point. I I, I acknowledge that, you know. You know, here he is. I mean, why don't you just release everything and and show it? I don't have an answer for that. I really don't. I'm at... but everything I've seen up to this date, you know, since the uh, JFK Act in the early 90s, you know, that was released, that was a gob of stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I agree with Oliver Stone on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was very helpful for every researcher. But uh, anyway, that's a good point, Rob. I can log that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I you know, I'm not out to change anybody's mind. I'm, and I'm sure you're not out to change anybody's mind either. I mean, it, it's, 
you know, when it comes to researching this case, it's a very personal journey. Uh, and everybody's at different stages of that journey. And, you know, I just hope the people out there listening can understand where both of us are coming from. You know, there's, there's, we both have a lot of questions. You know, even though we might come to different conclusions, we still have a lot of the same questions. And we're still looking for a lot of the same answers. And, I mean, I just speaking for myself, you know, if there comes a document out, you know, hey, you know, we got this guy. If there's a picture that comes out of Oswald sitting up on the sixth floor, then okay. You know, okay then. You know, I'll, I'll go with it. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm just after the truth. And I'm sure you are too. You want the truth. You know, that's what we're all seeking here in the end. Um, of course, save for, you know, three-fourths of the community out there that are totally, completely lunatistic, um, which is frustrating as hell, but, you know... Yeah, I, I understand you. That's exactly right. I think, uh, you know, you and I are on the kind of a safe wavelength here, but, you know, you're approaching from one side, I'm approaching from other, and maybe Doug Campbell, he's approaching from another, you know, on and on, you know, that's it is a personal journey. Uh, so you have these... This community, there is a community, good community of researchers. I can tell you that. Uh, but uh, they, you know, that that really look into this stuff. You know, documents are important. You know, but uh, how you interpret those documents is another thing. You know. Yeah, and, uh, and I was even watching this thing about eyewitnesses, Steve, the other day, and how they actually took um, twelve people. And they had them in a courtroom, and they had them watch a video. And it was probably a 30-second video, and there was a lot of things going on in this video. You know, it was a city scene. You know, there's people walking around, cars going by, people doing things, uh, you know, in the background, foreground. And they showed these 12 people this 30-second clip. And they had them watch it, and then they asked them questions about what they had just watched. And... They knew that they were going to be asked questions about what they just watched, you know, ahead of time. You know, they told them, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have you watch this, and then we're going to see how accurate your eyewitness reporting is. So they told them to make sure you pay attention to the details. Make sure you take everything in, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And after that 30-second video, that woman was up there questioning them. And I was I was shocked Steve and surprised at how many people missed things, got things totally wrong, colors totally wrong, what people were doing totally wrong. And uh, yeah. then they showed the video to them again. They said, Okay, you watched it once, you, you thought you saw you know, you know what you thought you saw, and we're gonna show it to you again. This time you know what we're gonna be asking. Uh, the types of things we're going to be asking. Watch it again, okay? So they showed it to them again. And yeah. the second time, they had two of the 12 people ahead of time. They got with them and said, they said, we want you to kind of purposely mislead everybody else and be very vocal and very positive about what you saw. And, and you know, basically see if they could get the other people, the other 10 people to agree with them about what they just supposedly saw. You know, like, you know, I'm, I am a hundred percent sure that guy was wearing a gray shirt. I know he was wearing a gray shirt, you know, and, and the other people say, Oh yeah, 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 you're right. You know, and it was just amazing to me about how many of these 
eyewitnesses who just watched this stuff got it wrong. I mean, really, really wrong. You know, they it was, it was just crazy. And and when you go back to think that all these people in Dealey Plaza um, didn't know what was coming, okay, they didn't know that they were going to have to recall what they had just watched or what they had just seen. And that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to rely on eyewitness testimony. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I saw this show that was on TV. And I was like, man, that is crazy how wrong people can be about things. And, you know, it's even evident going back to the Newman's testimony, you know, he's sitting 10 feet away from the president, you know, and, and he says, you know, I saw him jump up in his seat and then he got shot in the head, which, we know he didn't jump up in his seat, you know. No, no. And, I, and that's that's a great point. Uh, of course, any cop out on <laughs> would tell you that, too. You know, one of the worst things is all these people telling different stories of whatever happened, you know, and that's an excellent point. And here's, here's a little experiment, Rob. I'd like to – that dovetails in your last comments here. Uh, let's have a moment of silence for a little bit, okay? Okay. And then I'll jump back in. We'll start it right now. Okay, over. That was roughly 10 seconds. I didn't time it with my watch. I just kind of... That was, give or take, the shooting shooting sequence from the first shot to the head shot. Down on the And... uh, so <clears throat> your point is very valid because when something like that happens, it's unexpected, right? Yeah. Something totally unexpected. I mean, uh, uh, a shot rings out. Uh, everybody was kind of, you know, turning around and looking, what was that, you know? And, and then, you know, the other two shots. In such a short time span, you know? And uh, then you get all these... Uh, other uh, witness testimonies, you know, like Newman talking about standing up in the car. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's totally unreliable. I mean, you can't just pinpoint one guy. I mean, uh, you have to look at it and you have to try to read between the lines. So uh, it's a valid point. So as a researcher, you have to consider that. Right. I, I consider a person's recollection of, of, of events, like what they actually did, where they went, uh, more reliable than what they saw or heard. Because, you know, when a gunshot rings out, you're going to have people that immediately know what the hell it is are, are going to be like, all right, I need to get to cover. I need to get down. Uh, you're going to have people who think it was a firework or it was a joke or, you know, something like that. They're going to be looking around dumbfounded. You know, then you got people that are, just frozen who don't know what to think that you know they're sending almost into a state of shock you know maybe their system is shutting other functions down such as hearing uh, you know people close their eyes they don't want to see what's going on you know just a myriad of different things could, could take place when you're talking about such a vast array of people and you know just it was just up until recently you know I was just like I got to throw all this eyewitness testimony out the friggin' door, you know, and and go with, start putting more credence as to what people did, you know. This is what I did, 
you know, rather than what this is what I saw. And uh, I think it'll be, you know, things get a little bit clearer when it when, when it starts doing that. You know, like, uh, you know, they, they, there's several idiots on our side, and I know you know who I'm referring to. Um, you know, they like to say, well, Billy Lovelady said he was standing on the third step. And then, then, then a couple years later, he said he was uh, on the top step. And then a couple years later, he said he was sitting down out there eating lunch. Now, do you yeah. think do you think when when Billy Lovelady was standing on them steps out front, he was even remotely aware of what stair he was standing on, uh, you know? And would he be relied upon years and years later to recall exactly what step he was standing on when the shots rang out? You know, it's 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 idiotic, you know, what these people try to put forth. You know, I'm sure that I'm, sh- I'm sure he didn't know, you know, what, and I'm sure he moved. You know how when you're on the stairs and you're standing there for a while and you're watching something or waiting for a parade, you're going to move. You're not a statue. You're going to go up a step, down a step. You might sit down for a minute. You might get back up. You know, you might step up another step to get a better view. You know, or uh-huh. something to that effect. You know, it's just it's not so cut and dry. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, that I know exactly who you're talking about there, but. Uh... <laughs> Uh, you know, it is Billy Love Lady. I don't know how these people don't register it. But, uh, yeah, very good point. Uh, they're not statues. You know, they're moving. You know, maybe they're eating their lunch. Maybe they're, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, shaking somebody's hand, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all their own movement. You know, yeah. And uh, so, even uh, now, what a, you know, we talked about well. Let's. I want to throw Wesley Fraser in here a little bit. Okay. Uh, and I'm sure you watched his his uh, Sixth Floor Museum uh, yes. interview right there. Sure you know, did. the last one. Uh, what it was a year or so ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now I find that kind of compelling, and I think you brought that up uh, <clears throat> where he makes the statement. Oh, somewhere about 35 minutes into that video, uh, that he thought Oswald left out the back door loading dock area. <clears throat> you recall that, Rob? I do, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought that was pretty interesting. That That's that's what I'm kind of very interested in hearing. I mean, that, that just kind of throws a different light on things, right? Well, but, I think uh, I'm thinking that he also said... I, but I might have been thinking of a different instance, but I thought in the in the sixth floor oral history, I thought that he said he was standing out front when Oswald left the building, and he sat there and he watched him cross Houston Street and turn the corner on on uh, Main Street and disappear. Well, yeah, well, I just watched that again yesterday. Uh, what he was there on the first step, but he moved down to the corner. Of Elm and Houston near there, and he was said he was talking to somebody. It was a lady, and out the corner of his eye, he saw Oswald walking down Houston. Gotcha. So he had moved from the front door to near the corner. I don't know where he's sitting on the corner or near it, but uh, and that's where he saw Oswald walking down Houston, cross over to Elm, and then on up Elm, you know. And he lost track of them there in the crowd. 
Steve, that, that, that right there is my my unreliable witness testimony. <laughs> you know, yeah. I thought I heard something, but it was it was different. You know, and that's just a small example of how things, small things, can get twisted very, you know, impactfully. Yeah, but I, I think it's well, it's just a minor point. But anyway, it's just a. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. You know. Oh, most definitely. Uh, yeah, now Oswald had a. Uh, of course, told the police when they interrogated him, he went out the front door. Yeah. And uh, also, you have this instance where he was pointing somebody to the telephone. I think he called him the Secret Service man or whatever, but a guy with the crew cut, which would have been either Pierce Allman or, or Robin McNeil. Right. <clears throat> so now you got that little thing going on there, too. So that that's kind of. Did he, did he just lie and said, Went out the front door, but <clears throat> it kind of makes sense, Rob, because because uh, there's really no photograph. Nobody from the Texas School Book Depository saw him out in front. Uh, and if I was an assassin, I sure would be walked out the front door and a bunch of police, you know. Oh, no doubt. Trying to get out the yeah. back door. Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's something I'm digging into, but... Uh, that's an interesting twist. So yeah, you're right. These, this is the story is ever evolving, and uh, and I can tell you another thing. Uh, there are people in Dallas that saw things that just never wanted to get involved. Yeah. And they were just scared out of their mind. They thought they were just they didn't know what was going on. So holy smokes, they just shut up and didn't say a damn thing. You know. Yep, especially uh, after Ruby shot Oswald, and they was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. nothing. Yeah, that's, that really put the fear of God in you know, what's going on here. So uh, so you have that factor, too, working there. So, <clears throat> you know, it's a good point. Researchers have to look into that. And uh, I know I've talked to a few people off offline there that saw Oswald. Uh, Danner on Jefferson. Uh, in fact, I talked to a man that was uh, <clears throat> his dad was uh, he owned the Harris Motors down there on Jefferson and Patton. Right. And his kid, he said he when he, when he he says the kid they were standing out there. It's the same. I think it's the same place Ted Callaway worked, <clears throat> but uh, they were standing out there on on the parking lot there, and uh, here comes this man with a gun and a pistol in him and running by and his dad he told me his dad got him and his sister and told him to go back inside the office and get get the hell out of the way but I said well do you recall what this guy looked like he said oh yeah he was wearing a tan jacket and it was Oswald and I said well yeah I mean well, so there's, there's all kinds of little stories like that out there that you know Researchers need to dig into, you know. Yeah. Or was it Larry Crayford? <laughs> you know. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey Steve. <laughs> hey man, we're, no. we're we're running out of time on this one, brother. And I wish I could talk to you all day because uh, I'm loving it. And I hope you would definitely come back on the show and we could talk sometime in the very near future. Sure, sure. We can go into a lot of things, and I, I appreciate the invite. Uh, it's very, very helpful, and uh, uh, I appreciate you listening. Oh, no problem. Thanks nice for coming on, and, and uh, 
you know, I wanted to talk to you about the package. We didn't have time today that we, that we were uh, looking at. So, yeah, man, in a couple of weeks, I'd love to have you come back on. We can get into the package. Uh, we can get into all kinds of other stuff. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Steve. Okay, Rob, thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk soon, huh? All right, you hang on the line for me, Steve. I'm going to talk us out here. This has been the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is Rob Clark. This son of a bitch is in the can, beamed up to the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is me thanking Steve for stopping by. Hope you enjoyed the show. Check out TLGpodcast.com for more. Stay tuned. Peace.
right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.